Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself. And for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. This is the Ocean Protect podcast, talking about the issues that face our oceans and what we can do about it. Presented by Ocean Protect, committed to change. We've thrown around some numbers on the show, estimating the amount of assets that are actually maintained in in Australia. You threw off a number of 600,000 storm filter cartridges. Mm. So, you know, what's the total assets in, in America? You know, millions and millions of these things. Would you be game enough to throw out a percentage of what you think would be maintained currently in the U.S.? Yeah, it depends on how you look at it. I, I've seen some interesting studies. I did one study a long time ago for the storm filter. We knew what was out there. We kept a pretty good database, what was out there, worked to track the, the operations of maintenance because we were either doing the maintenance ourselves or we trained users to go out there and a uh, person go out and get a, a different uh, provide, service provider. And we, one time we did a calculation, I figured every year about 20% of the assets were being maintained. So wow. which means on the average, every five years, something's getting maintained. The service life on the filters, it, it depends on the design and the location, and, you know, a lot of factors, but the service life usually ranges from one year to sometimes 10 years. Hmm. Again, depending on where you are and, and what the pollutants are and, and how you're managing the water. If I had to guess now, it's, it's more than that. I know that I used to work for a company, Contact, which acquired my company many years ago. They have a very active maintenance group there that basically has literally tens of thousands of these things that they track and under contract. They have them on a GIS system. You can click on the attributes is how big it is. Last time it was maintained, they developed a app. They take photos, they diagnose any issues, you know, their structural problems, any of these things. So when they show up at the site, they know what needs to happen and, and you develop this track record, if you will, for these different systems. I don't know exactly what the percentage is, but I know it's growing. But I, I want to get you to a number. You'd, you'd say. <laughs> okay. I had, if I had to guess, I would say 25, 30% on, a, on an annualized basis. Of all assets in, a, in the States are getting maintained. Yeah. I, again, it depends on how you look at it. So one, one agency just says, we have $10 million or $50 million worth of assets and we spend this much money that, you know, they, they do kind of a ratio. They really don't look at it from an individual asset. They may have mm. data that drills down that far, but that's not how they report so it. It's budget. Mm. Yeah. We've got, we've got this amount of money. What are we going to do with it this year? And some are way ahead of others. You know, some are still just kind of, it seems to be the further away you get from water, 
the less concerned people are. Yeah. Yeah. And what's interesting when I'm in Arizona, most of the time the waterways are dry, you know, a dry wash. Mm. Or, uh, I'm not sure what do you call them there? They're gully. Yeah. Ephemeral gullies. Yeah. yeah. Gullies. Yeah. Gullies, ephemeral yeah. gullies. Okay. By the way, you know what a gully washer is? You ever heard of a gully no. washer? No. <laughs> yeah. So, <laughs> really good. so what it is, <laughs> you, uh, you take all your, your garbage and, and your debris and everything, you throw it into the dry gully. And if it rains hard enough to wash all that away, that's a gully washer. <laughs> <laughs> that's a real uh, thing in a lot of parts of the world, though. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So I've been working a little bit on a, just for the fun of it with Pima County here. They have a pretty significant flooding problem. When it rains here, it comes down and the water comes fast. It's not held by the vegetation anymore. You get a lot of erosion. And there's pictures of these just, you know, almost like a flush of water coming down, just all charred material and just rushing down these, these dry washes. And there are certain areas of town where the accumulation of trash and debris is, is just out of control. So I actually started working with the county and trying to do some kind of like a, a survey where I, I go to different outfalls and take a series of photos of them and then share those with the county over time so they can understand the dynamics of how the, the trash and debris is moving around. But it's, it's significant and it happens. I did go on a ride last week and I noted that we've had some just unbelievably big storms here. Believe it or not, an all-time record for the monsoons here. I noticed a lot of trash and debris was gone. So had a pretty good gully washer this year. Um, <laughs> so I guess it's an opportunity to start at ground zero and then watch it accumulate uh, over the next. And it's worth noting, we are hoping to come to America at some stage. And uh, Jim, I'm sure I speak for everyone on this call that we're looking forward to going on a bike ride with you. I obviously do a fair bit of cycling, but I'm not sure if Jer- Jeremy and Michael do much, but look, hey, I reckon hey, we'll hey, go hey, and get hey, some hey, lycra for these boys. Hey, we, we've, we've, we've done our cycling. But Brad, I'm telling you right now, I'm, a, I'm adjusting your brakes before you go. So, uh. <laughs> But look, to Jeremy's question, Jim thinks maybe 25% of all assets in America get maintained. Oh, I want to put Michael on the spot now. Michael, of all the sauna treatment assets in Australia that have been installed, then there's probably tens of thousands, potentially hundreds of thousands. What proportion, what percentage do you believe get maintenance? 5% as a whole, I'd say 5%. You know, it depends. If you look at, if you look at our gear, sure. we, we know what ours and ours is probably the highest because we, you know, we, we, hmm. we understand that it's going to be done. So, And you can see with our systems, we're approaching 30% of our systems installed in the ground are getting maintained, which is which is actually a pretty good number compared to the status quo. And as you know, in some areas that approaches 80%, depending on the council's need for regulation and enforcement. So, but all in all, 5%, but it's a quite a bizarre concept. Hey, go and spend, you know, I don't know, close to a, a billion dollars worth of money on, on assets and don't maintain it. Would you do that with a car? Would. It's like our state government going out and buying a, a billion dollars worth of cars, yeah, like you said, and just driving them until they conk out five years later and then just leaving them on the side of the road. It's just staggering. It's just because it's out underground. It shouldn't make any difference. I think you're about right, Michael. I think it's probably about 5 to 10%. Jeremy, whatever number you say, you're going to be wrong, but it's probably about that. But you know, getting back to this Sea Shepherd Australia talk on Friday night, I, I tell those numbers to the people that spend their weekends cleaning up litter from the beaches and, and waterways around Australia, and they are furious. They're aghast. They are just livid to know that I guess these assets get put in, a lot of people just are just forgetting about them. And 
what makes them more angry is that the fact that government or potentially regulators are generally doing nothing about it. Now, to Jim's point, it is getting better. We are seeing some councils, I guess, making sure that developers on long-term maintenance agreements at the uh, development approval stage to make sure that these assets get appropriately maintained or at least assist that. And one council in Australia, Black Tennessee City Council, is beginning an enforcement program to make sure that these assets are getting appropriately maintained. So it is getting better, but the status, the, the current situation is very average. That's my whole point. You know, no offense, Jim, but you're being pretty nice about, you know, people <laughs> suing people in, in, in America. I mean, that rate of 25 to 30% as an estimate from Jim, that's with a pretty heavy handed enforcement in some areas. That's, you know, the monetary risk of getting sued. And we don't have that in Australia. We've got, you know, as you said, back down city council, they'll go out with enforcement. But is that actually enforcement with, you know, we're going to fine you? I, I don't know much about the policy, but I think we've got a long way to go here in Australia because unless there's a stick getting you know smacked upon you to go, hey, you've got to do this, and here is the consequence of not doing it, you leave it up to the individual person who, as Jim said, I don't even know I've got this thing on here and I don't care. And so that does concern me. I mean, I, I, it's good to hear the, it was a lot higher than what I thought Jim would say. I thought you'd be a lot lower, but you know, look, there's a long way to go. And, and by talking about these issues, it, it's only going to help it. Absolutely. Kind of a bit of clarification. You would ask the question, is it being maintained or is it under an O&M program? Because a lot of things don't need to be maintained every year. And yeah. so, you know, if it happens service life. So in Texas, for example, they require every year a registered professional engineer to go out and inspect a system and then make a determination what O&M needs to be done if it needs to be done. So this whole notion of, first of all, the, the, a long time I used to fight out of sight, out of mind. Well, those are out of sight, out of mind, out of sight, out of mind. They wanted to do a windshield survey. Just, we're going to drive by and look. So you can tell how a pond is operating or a sand filter or a swale is operating just by driving by. It's like, I don't think so. It doesn't work that way. And I know we know a lot more, particularly with a lot of the research on bioretention. You know, they have design infiltration rates. They got different vegetation and all sorts of things that, that need to happen there. But the whole notion that getting these things under asset management is, is incredibly important. I always made the point, I said, half the world's underground. You think about sanitary sewers, you've got lift stations, you've got all this infrastructure in there, electrical vaults with all the electrical. People, they're under asset management. People go by, they do inspections, they do O&M, they do repairs. They're being managed and managed correctly. So the whole notion that something is underground shouldn't really matter. What matters is using asset management in order to know where it is, what the specification is, how it's supposed to be designed, and developing a, a track record, if you will, for operations and maintenance. And then, obviously, enforcement. You know, I'm not big for government putting their after everybody, but at the same time, I think most people enjoy clean water. I always find it interesting. Somebody's, you know, I don't want to pay all that rain tax and this expensive, all this other stuff. And then in the weekend, they hop in their SUV and go fishing and say, yeah, this water is great. Or, boy, the water's kind of bad here you know there's no more fish anymore that's about making up the connection jim you know and that's and we're, we're, we're all stormies on this phone call and we've been living and breeding it for collectively 
probably a hundred years if you're sorry, Jimbo, talking about your age here. But you know, there's a lot of there's a lot of experience around stormwater on this call, and our biggest frustration is people's lack of understanding. We've had civil engineers that design our systems. Brad and I have gone to present to them. So these are guys that are engineers that design a stormwater asset on a development who go surfing in the weekend who didn't put one plus one equals two, where does, you know, they saw the trash in the ocean. And this is an engineer that we know, Brad and Mike, and he never, never put one and two together. So I can, I can, yeah, absolutely. And, and, and to get back with this talk I gave at Sea Shepherd Australia, these guys spend their, you know, again, weekends cleaning up litter. I asked the question, where's all this plastic coming from? I gave four options. You know, is it littering at the beach? Is it discarded fishing nets at sea, et cetera? Is it stormwater? Or is it uh, sewage, microplastics? And almost no one thought it was stormwater. So, you know, to Jeremy's point, it's stormwater professionals. It's people who are doing beach cleanups who aren't making the connection. So certainly Joe Public isn't certainly making that connection. Again, that's the reason why we do this podcast, to tell the story about it, to get our message across that stormwater is a key source of various pollutants, including litter and plastic, going into our waterways. And one of the biggest things that, and this is why Ocean Protect is, Ocean Protect. We're all scientists, engineers, professionals wanting to make a difference. We want to help the environment. What's the easiest thing we could do right now? Maintain all the assets. Just simply maintain the assets. There's over a billion dollars worth of infrastructure installed. There's, There's thousands of GPTs all over the place. Maintain them and you watch the efficiency and the carbon footprint of people going out doing beach cleanups. Watch that just all drop away. We've got the technology it's there, it's installed, we just need to clean it and get it back online. It's such a simple thing that would make such a profound impact on the problem in the next 12 months. We're not talking about multi-generational. We could do this and make a massive change in a very short amount of time. So on that, a simple call to arms to our listeners would be to ask your local councillor, how are they maintaining their stormwater treatment assets and also enforcing the appropriate maintenance of these assets in private ownership? And I'd love to get a response. Again, to Michael's point, it's such such a simple thing. We're not asking for some sort of revolution. The key message is to maintain what, what is generally already there. Yeah, and it really astounds me that council's not encouraged to do this. Yeah. All the infrastructure that's installed, you've got private site and public site. Everything that's on private site flows into the public. Council doesn't own that infrastructure. Mm. It's the private. And how do you reduce your maintenance costs if you're a private entity? Stop dropping crap all over the ground. It's pretty simple. Mm. So Mm. as soon as the user starts paying for it and go, well, how do I trim my costs here? Maybe I don't pollute so much. We then drop the load down. We then maintain it. Council's not paying for the bulk of it. It's a win-win. But yet, let's no, let's install the equipment and not do anything about it and just pretend that no, there's nothing wrong. Look, it's yeah. it's for me, it's just unbelievable. Yeah, I used to uh, I give a presentation in front of a group of people. So you say, you know, who wants clean water? Please raise your hand. Well, <laughs> yeah, everybody's like, okay, all right, and then one of their hands are up. Say, who wants to pay for it? <laughs> and they're like, Ugh! Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices 
down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Yeah. Yeah, yeah a, lot, a lot of the municipalities does say, you know, we'd love to do that, but we have no budget. And, uh, you know, they're all physically constrained right now. You know, they can't maintain the roads and they can't do this. And, and now they have to start maintaining the, all these assets that are in place. So it's a budgeting and, and financial issue. And again, this is where a lot of these uh, utilities are coming from. And to your point, Mike, it's just I think if people have to start paying for it, their level of awareness is going on. You know, like your water bill. The water bill keeps going up. The cost of water is going up. People start conserving. You know, "Eh, maybe I don't need to overwater my lawn. And why is my water running down the street? Here in Arizona, it's like, why do you even have a lawn? And so, unfortunately, you know, money is is a big driver in terms of the decisions that people make about what they do. One final thing before we wrap up is I am keen to talk a bit more about these emerging contaminants. So I think last time we spoke, you mentioned briefly about PFAS and how heavy metal contamination impairing the fish brain function, which again, blew our minds. I think I've got emerging contaminants on the brain. I'm I'm currently reading a a book called Exposure by Robert Billet, which is all about PFAS. And I've just finished reading a, a book called Countdown, Shanna Swan, which is about our decreased fertility of the human race, but also wildlife. And I think a lot of it's due to a whole bunch of stuff like endocrine disruptors. So yeah, PFAS, endocrine disruptors, phthalates, heavy metals. There's all these sort of emerging contaminants, all these dissolved pollutants that seem to be almost a, a, a really nasty cocktail of pollutants in our stormwater. I guess first question, is there any is there any particular ones that keep you up at night, Jim? And I guess more importantly, what is the sort of best way to, I guess, try and mitigate this emerging contamination problem? A big question, and I don't know if you can answer it. <laughs> that's, that's a tough one. I, I did taking a harder look at all my pots and pans, that's for sure. You know, my awareness of different different things. My, my sister brought me something last year. It was like she cooked me something and the, the whole bottom of the pan was kind of flaking off. It was a Teflon pan. I'm like, yeah. you throw that thing away as fast yeah. as you can. It's not one in specific in general. I think it's just it's the overall notion that these contaminants of which we do know and a lot of them we know what the impacts are and other ones we don't know. And it's the old, it was the old thing uh Sometimes you know what you know what you know and you know what you don't know, but when you don't know what you don't know, that's that's when it's bad. And I think there's a lot of we don't know what we don't know about what's going on. And I don't think a lot of that's good, right? I worry just in general that this you know, widespread pollution that's going on is slowly but surely degrading the environment, the quality of life. And I I do worry about that. You know, and not for me. I'm I'm uh on the tail end of things, but, you know, younger generations have to start 
dealing with these with these legacy issues, I think the more we find out, the more complex it is. And it's not getting better. One of the things I said, you know, if we go and treat all the stormwater on, on development, we're basically slowing the rate that things are getting worse. We're not making it better. And in order for you to make it better, you have to go and in the retrofit everything that's been done in the past. And you look at, I, I did a calculation, the United States is actually approaching zero growth rate. It, it's, um, I think it's down to like less than 1% now on an average annual basis. But you got 350 million people. That means every year you have to build a city for 3.5 million people. You think about that. And if you go into emerging countries, you know, Africa, the growth rates, their population growth rate, and, and you know, they don't have the regulatory structure and environment. But you have this Western consumer consumerism in, in Africa is on the rise. You know, there's an emerging middle class there of, of millions and millions of people. And, and a lot of times all that other infrastructure and, and the government regulation, everything doesn't grow as fast as, as the consumerism. That's the kind of stuff I worry about. And at what time do you hit the carrying capacity of whatever natural system you have and it collapses. And then I think we all know what the what the consequence of having an environmental collapse is. And it's not it's not a pretty issue. When I worked in the Middle East, I saw a lot of that uh, Yemen area called the Tahama used to be heavily forested, had a lot of wildlife. And over a period of time, it's just it's pretty much desertified now. That to me was kind of disappointing to see that over the time. And, and I think the pollutants that we're adding and and the the population pressure that we have on our natural resources are are more than the planet can sustain. And I just don't know how long that can go on for. What do you believe is the best way to sort of turn the ship around to mitigate these issues and sustain life? That's what happens is you got too few resources and too many people after it. Let's put it that way. Well, that's really scary. Um, you know, we, we listen to Pappy and it's doomsday, basically. Mate, we like Brad asked before, and I'll ask again. What can we do as listeners of the podcast, everyday people? What would be, you know, take-homes to the people listening to this? And, and how do I make an impact in my area? You know, what, what can I do? We're a solutions podcast, so. Well, I think as, as individuals, I think that's pretty clear, you know, is to be conscious, you know, conserve. I was fishing the other day and there's some stuff in the water, you know, we pulled it out versus just, well, that's somebody else's mess, somebody else's problem. You have to get some time, volunteer a little bit. Simple things like I go out and I see people working in the yards and they're throwing fertilizer indiscriminately and you see it on the sidewalk and the pavement. Well, first time it rains, that's down, down in the drains. And if you look at what phosphorus, for example, the calculations of what it takes to get a pound of phosphorus out of stormwater is, is like, $30,000 or something. And you see somebody throwing a pound of triple superphosphate and it knows a lot of that's running into the gutter. You're like, you have any idea what it takes to get that out of the water? You know, it's just stuff like that and public education and people being aware. I think for companies, I think to uh, understand that they have a, a responsibility to manage their sites and to take that on and talk about it. And that's one of the good things. Hey, here's what at Coca Cola we're doing. We're, we've got this new biodegradable bottle that comes out. Coffee companies that, you know, have little pods, they're coming up with recycling programs and stuff like that. You know, shippers, you know, why aren't you using the biodegradable starch-based packing peanuts? Why are you using the styrofoam stuff? Why are you doing that? Cardboard, form cardboard, slurry versus, 
styrofoam packaging. It's just a lot of that stuff that we just don't need anymore and people continue to do. And government, I think, unfortunately, uh, regulations, enforcement, but also helping people deal with their problems through extension services and small grants and stuff like that. Uh, City of Portland, for example, well, if a person goes in and disconnects their downspouts and they put in like a little rain garden and stuff like that, they can get some money from the city in order to buy some materials, uh, stuff like that. You know, it's taken us 200 years to screw it up. And we're not going to fix it in 10 years. I'm not guarantee you that, but you have to start heading in the right direction. That's for sure. Cheers, mate. Mike, what are your thoughts, buddy? Oh, I think there's some little things that we can do. Each day, I think it's all around education. I look at the kids and look, look, I'll go for a walk in the morning, grab a coffee. I've started carrying some hand sanitizer with me. Just, you know, pick up a couple bits of rubbish. The old take three for the sea, pick up three bits of rubbish and put them in the bin. Trying to encourage the kids to do that as well when they're with me. You know, to understand that, hey, we all surf, we all catch the waves out there. This right here ends up out there. And if you can educate them and they can teach their friends, I think you sort of get that groundswell of support, but not only just for the kids and the family, but also this is so different to climate change. We, we understand the problem. We know how to fix it. We have the technology. Some of the technology is already installed. We just don't do it. And that for me is really working with government and council. So look, guys, come on. We're, we're there. We can do this. We can make a meaningful dent. You know, and educating those guys to make that just a couple of small changes. It's not going to cost them the world to do it. We can make a profound impact in a very short term on this problem. So for me, really education, educating people, because I think once you understand the arguments, you understand how easy it is, you can say, well, okay, why would I not do it? That's what you start asking yourself. Yeah, look, I'll, I'll chime in. I think education is important for sure, not just the kids, the adults, government officials, and I'm sure Jeremy and Michael and I'm sure Jim can attest to you know, being in front of government politicians, et cetera, leaders, captains of industry. And they just haven't had any idea about where pollution comes from, the consequences, what we can do about it. So I think that goes a long way and just getting people to be more mindful with their consumerism. You know, buy less stuff that comes in plastic, buy less stuff that comes in packaging, all helps. I think fundamentally we need more resources and attention to this issue. But I think with education and advocacy, that will change. But I, I think learning from others, I think learn, like the fact that we've learned so much just in the, in the few more conversations we've had previously and the momentum that's been gathered as a result of that has been amazing. So I think keeping these conversations and sharing of knowledge open and continuing is a great thing. I'm going to say something completely different. Regulation and litigation. I actually took a lot of heart out of hearing about the local community groups and environmental groups suing the government to drive change. And I actually think that goes a long way. And it's not just about suing government, but I'm very conscious of various, particularly these emerging contaminants. You know, if you're a manufacturer of PFAS or phthalates or produce products that shed microplastics into our waterways or into our environment, I honestly think you need to be on notice. You need to be very mindful of the fact that there's potentially a very, very large lawsuit coming your way in the not too distant future. So unless you're on the front foot now, reducing your production and use of these chemicals, you're in a lot of trouble. We've seen what's happened with companies that have made, you know, DDT, PFAS, et cetera. It's horrendously financially devastating for these companies when they get sued and, and to be honest, deservingly so. But I just think the manufacturers and producers of other chemicals, whether they be similar or potentially hazardous, et cetera, they should be on absolute notice. They need to be making sure that their products are as healthy, sustainable, undamaging to our planet as possible. Because if they're not, if they're found out to be liable for damage in the future, it's going to come back to haunt them. It's going to come back to hit them in the butt in a major financial way. 
So, and I guess the final point, I can't go, can't, can't go off this podcast without giving a hashtag plant power. Fundamentally, the leading cause of ocean dead zones, leading cause of deforestation, biodiversity loss, leading, one of the leading causes of climate change is animal agriculture. 80% of our, our land is used for farming. 75% of that is used for agri- animal agriculture. Just not, not necessarily. Uh, to Jim's point, we've got too many people for sure. But we've got far too many cows. <laughs> and I know, Jim, I've subtly uh, infiltrated your kitchen at home, and I, I believe you're still making my smoothies. I am. I, I, I went out and got some dates and coconuts today. You've introduced me into these frozen banana smoothies, and I have to look <laughs> Sounds great. That's all I'm here for, Jim, to, to spread the love on uh, smoothie recipes. And yeah. you look fantastic, by the way. You, you haven't aged a day since I last saw you. Yeah. I look 100 years old. Yeah. <laughs> Jeremy, any final words? It's been a hell of a chat, as always. We never know what we're going to talk about. And certainly this conversation, Jim had a few topics that we didn't even talk about that he wanted to talk about. So I'll have to get him back on. I think Jim could have a regular spot here every month, the Jim Lenhart Corner. Mate, you know, I listen to Wixie, to yourself and to, to Jim. You know, it is about taking responsibility for ourselves. You know, you've got to start with me. As Jim said, he was fishing in the weekend. Someone else's trash is floating down the, the lake. And if you start with those small things yourself and are conscious yourself, that just oozes to other people. To Wixie's point, if he's out there with the kids, next thing you know, the kids are out there with their mates going, hey, don't do that. And then, you know, then it's just a snowball effect. So, yeah, start with yourself, pick up your trash, you know, be aware of what you're doing and, and talk to people about it because, Raising awareness will make change. Whether it's fast enough to solve the problem, well, we'll wait and see in 10, 20, 30 years. It's been an amazing conversation, gentlemen. I do appreciate your time. Jim, fantastic to see you and talk to you. We always get so much from your uh, chats. Michael, thanks for making a guest appearance this week. Yeah, love your Jeremy, haircut. As love, always. You, love your haircut, Wixie. Looks great, <laughs> Thanks, mate. guys. Thanks for the, the haircut. Thanks for trying. Thanks for letting me get at least two words in. That was really great. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll cut those out. Don't worry about that. <laughs> <laughs> Cheers, boys. Thank you very much. Boom, boom. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the Ocean Protect podcast. If you'd like to find out more about us and what we do, check us out at oceanprotect.com.au.